Welcome to Wonderland, the podcast where I go down the rabbit hole to research things you may be curious about. My name is Ami, and I'll be your guide on this trip to Wonderland. Hi there, my Wonderlings, and Merry Christmas. If you're listening to this episode on the day it comes out, then it's Christmas Day, and I hope that you and yours are having a wonderful day. I love the entire Christmas season, and I thought I'd spend a little time in this episode delving into some Christmas traditions that you might have wondered about. I wonder. 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 To prepare for this episode, I asked some friends and family what they think of when they think of Christmas. This is what they had to say. I think of Christ and how blessed we are. And I think of family and the importance of being with family. Decorations. Happy times. Trees. Stockings. I think of family and togetherness and um, presents and um, fun times and food and also about Jesus. I think of red and green and lights. Jesus' birth. Spending time with family. Cookies. Treats. (laughs) Santa Claus. Family gatherings and day drinking. (laughs) Decorations and Santa and snow and a happy time. One of the people I had the pleasure of chatting with for this episode was my husband's grandmother, who turned 100 years old this month. Here's what she says she thinks of when she thinks of Christmas. So these are questions about Christmas. Okay? About Christmas? About Christmas? Mm -hmm. Okay. And when you think of Christmas, what kinds of things do you think of? Cookies and decorations and hopefully we'll have snow, which is traditional in our area. Oh, so you get a white Christmas, huh? Most of the time. (laughs) That's nice. We never get them here. No, I know. (laughs) Isn't that adorable? Grandma Bland has celebrated 100 Christmases, and she still gets excited for cookies and snow. Getting to chat about Christmas with her was such a special treat for me, and I'm so excited to share some of her centuries worth of insights with you guys throughout today's episode. Christmas brings so many things to mind, from decorations and the tree, to spending time with friends and family, and of course, the birth of Jesus. And while the religious holiday celebrating the birth of Jesus of Nazareth is what began the annual celebration of Christmas, it has become a widespread secular holiday as well. We're going to get into a little more about the origin of how we celebrate Christmas. But before that, here's what my guests this week had to say about their favorite Christmas traditions. I like the decorations. I like the trees. Mm. Opening up gifts, Mm. of course. What's your favorite gift of all time? Like the one that sticks out in your mind, you're like, that Christmas. Ooh. I got an electric scooter when I was a kid. It was my favorite gift. Probably when I got a bike. Yeah. Like, that was the one. That's fun for both of you. You guys can, like, go out and be on wheels together. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I can't ride one. Driving Gabrielle and Eden around to look at Christmas lights at random strangers' houses. Getting together with the family on Christmas Eve. Hmm. Wondering what's in the boxes under the tree. <laughs> I guess my favorite is where we all get together at mom's house and 
have a little food and open presents and just have memories. Decorating trees and hanging up stockings. Decorating the house. Eating. <laughs> I think family getting together Christmas Eve. Many of these traditions that we enjoy today were born out of some of the earliest ways of celebrating Christmas. As I said earlier, Christmas began as a religious holiday to celebrate the birth of Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God in the Christian religion. But even centuries before the blessed baby was born, the midwinter was a time of celebration around the world. Many of these celebrations stemmed from the winter solstice. Early Europeans rejoiced when the worst of the winter had passed and longer days were ahead. You may be at least a little familiar with a Norse celebration of the winter solstice hailing from Scandinavia, Yule. This celebration started on December 21st and ended in January. The men would bring home large logs, which they would set on fire, and the people would feast until the log burned out, taking as many as 12 days. The Norse believed that each spark from the fire represented a new calf or piglet in the new year. Did you know that's where Yule logs originated? And while there are similar celebrations all over Europe, the festivities that most closely lent themselves to our modern Christian traditions hail from the ancient Roman celebration called Saturnalia. Saturnalia was held on the 17th through 23rd of December on the Julian calendar and was a time to honor the Roman god of agriculture, Saturn. Food and drink were abundant, and on December 19th, a time known as Sigillaria, people all over Rome exchanged gifts. The gifts were traditionally small and expensive circes, such as wax figures or pottery. With the gifts and food and family and friends, there are definitely some parts of Saturnalia that feel a little Christmassy. Other parts, such as gambling and human sacrifice, maybe not so much. So we know that midwinter was a time that many cultures celebrated with festivities, but you may have heard that many scholars believe that Jesus was born during the spring and that Puritans, in an attempt to deny the legitimacy of Christmas during the 1600s, were quick to point out that the Bible did not indicate a date for Jesus' birth. So why do we celebrate Christmas on December 25th? Well, that appears to be up for some debate, but many historians believe that Pope Julius I declared December 25th as the official date for Jesus' birth in 350 AD. This belief was based on a letter quoted in a 9th century source. In the early years of Christianity, Easter was celebrated, but not the birth of Jesus. Some believe that in choosing to celebrate the birth of Jesus in December, the church was attempting to adopt some of the traditions of the Saturnalia festival. Christmas was first called the Feast of the Nativity, a custom which spread to Egypt by 432 and to England by the end of the 6th century. As the years passed, Christmas celebrations changed, borrowing from other celebrations, like the gift-giving of Saturnalia or decorating with greenery from Yuletide. Many of these old ways of celebrating are still part of our customs today. One of the most recognizable customs for many people at Christmas is decorating for the holiday. I asked my guests about Christmas decorations. Do you decorate for Christmas? Sort of. What kind of decorations do you put up? We do lights on the porch and little, you know, the... Inflatables? Well, we don't have inflatable this year. He died. Oh, no. We have Christmas trees, little light Christmas trees. A wreath on the door and then a Christmas decoration thing that sits around. I, uh, we do a little bit of decorating. We have a tree and usually some little things around the house. I know some people put it out, outside stuff, but we don't do any of that normally. The inside, not the outside of my house. What kind of things y'all put up? Christmas tree, Christmas lights, stockings, presents, wreaths. Trees and stockings and elves. We always have a Christmas tree inside. And then we do some wreaths on the front of the house. 
<clears throat> we have one of these lights that kind of casts different patterns of red and green on the front of the house. Uh, some lights out front, some wreaths in the kitchen, sometimes garland on the poles. I do, but barely. I do the tree. And like a scented candle. That's it. Yeah. I do not. He doesn't do it. I grab the tree. Uh, do you do ornaments on the tree? Yeah. Are they sentimental or are they just like matching baubles? They're just matching baubles. Okay. And then I keep them on the tree in the storage <laughs> unit and just pull the tree back the next oh, year. It's very smart. Yeah. Why do you think people decorate for Christmas? I think it's a celebration of Christ. Because it looks pretty. Indoctrination into the holiday itself. <laughs> because it makes them happy. Well, I, from what I've heard, the tree is a pagan tradition that we've adopted and made into a Christian tradition. By far, one of the most recognizable Christmas decorations to anyone is the Christmas tree. While the Norse and Romans and even Celts had decorated with evergreen boughs, it is Germany that is typically credited with the tradition of the Christmas tree in around the 16th century. Though, like everything else, it's up for some debate. But what is undebatable is that by the 1600s, unadorned Christmas trees, Weihnachtsbaum, were sold much like our Christmas tree lots today. According to Judith Flanders, author of Christmas, a biography, the first decorated indoor tree on record was in Strasbourg in 1605. The decorations were roses, apples, wafers, and other sweets. The trees were so popular in the town that ordinances were passed limiting trees to one per household. Early decorations tended to be like those described on the Strasbourg trees, floral components and fruits, for example. But even in the 1600s, beautiful baubles could be found on some trees. A German man by the name of Hans Greiner created glass beads that were designed to be hung on Christmas trees, and eventually other skilled artisans molded these lovely glass pieces to look like fruit or nuts. They were topped with a little crown and hook to hang them on the tree. These decorated baubles continued to be popular throughout Europe and eventually spread to the Americas. The first American-made glass ornaments were created in New York in 1870. But for many Americans, these types of decorations were not standard until much, much later. I spoke with Grandma Bland about how they used to decorate when she was a girl. Did you decorate your house for Christmas growing up? Yes, but our decorations were minimum because, you know, we, we really had to make most of them. And we would string popcorn on uh, thread. And uh, that was one of our decorations. Of course, decorations were not commercial like they are now. So we just had to do what we could with what we had. So other than the popcorn, what other things did you put up? Like uh, we'd make paper ornaments with, with like, we always could make stars out of paper. Mm-hmm. And uh I see stars in the popcorn, and uh, we had one person that was pretty talented, and she could draw a small bell. Okay. You know, and then cut that out of paper. And that was about all we had as far as decorations, except my father always brought in a big 
um, uh, arm load of uh, greenery because it made the house smell Christmassy. Yeah. Oh, well, by the time that my children were little, we had commercial decorations. Interestingly, I have very fond memories of spending Christmas in Germany when I was about seven. And we had a scraggly little Christmas tree that my sister, mother, and I decorated with strings of popcorn and little paper ornaments also. I hold this memory very dear to me. And it sounds like Grandma Bland holds her humble Christmas decorations just as dear to her. The earliest Christmas trees were often briefly decorated with candles intended to signify the light of Jesus. John Hansen told Time Magazine in a 2015 article that generally the tree was set up in the parlor and the family would come down to see the tree Dad or Grandpa would light up all the candles, and you look at it for a few seconds and then blow them out. The candles could only be burned briefly because, unfortunately, beautiful Christmas boughs are quite flammable, and these Christmas candles caused many fires. In an attempt to help illuminate trees without setting the house on fire, Edward Johnson, friend of Thomas Edison, had the idea in 1882 to use electric lights on the tree. Johnson's first lights were eight pear-shaped bulbs on a single wire. When he lit the tree, audience were dazzled by the red, white, and blue lights. However entranced they were, though, the lights didn't catch on until after the 1920s. Partly, this is due to the fact that electricity was still pretty new and not all Americans trusted it. And the lights were very expensive, around $100 in today's money. General Electric introduced pre-assembled lights in the 20s, making the lights more accessible and less expensive, according to cultural historian Carrie Dean. So we've talked about the tree and the baubles and the lights, but because my sister asked me, I'm going to mention the origins of one other decoration, mistletoe. Mistletoe? Mistletoe? But why do we use mistletoe? Apparently, mistletoe has kind of an interesting history but likely the romantic aspect of mistletoe may be due to the fact that because the plant would blossom even in the frozen winter, druids came to view it as a symbol of vivacity and fertility. This association continued through the Middle Ages, and by the 18th century, it was often incorporated into Christmas celebrations. Some historians believe that part of the early custom, men were allowed to steal a kiss from any woman standing under the mistletoe because denying them would be bad luck. It is believed that the custom started with servants in England before spreading to the middle classes. There's more fun lore associated with the mistletoe, which I'll link on the website if you're interested in learning even more about this kiss-inducing greenery. Oh, by gosh, by golly, it's time for mistletoe and holly. Ah, few things quite capture the spirit of Christmas like the music. And there's such a variety of Christmas songs out there. As someone who listens to music more or less nonstop from Thanksgiving to Christmas, they just make me so happy to hear. I asked this week's guest about their favorite Christmas songs. What is your favorite Christmas song or carol? I don't want to say Mariah. Yeah, Mariah Carey, all I want for Christmas. It's just it. Mm. Or Oh Holy Night, that one's good. That was your dad's. Was it? Mm -hmm. Hey, there we go. I like White Christmas. But you get plenty of white Christmases, right? Because y'all are in Boston. Yeah. yeah. My favorite? I guess Mary Did You Know. It's a Blink-182 Merry Christmas song. What is it? Uh, I think it's called Merry Christmas. Oh, okay. Or Happy Holidays. One of the two. How's it go? It's Christmas time again. Time to be nice to those people that you can't stand all year. <laughs> Jingle bells. Or my grandma got run over by a reindeer. No will. 
Ark of the Bells. Oh, Holy Night. Drummer, drummer boy. <laughs> I can't even think of it. Oh, Chris, Christmas Carol. A way in a manger. I don't think I have one. There's not one that when it comes on, you're like, that's my jam. What's the one where the hang the stockings for little nail? What's that song? Up on the rooftop. Top, yeah, that one. <laughs> Wait, do you remember doing that one? So at the uh, NCO club yeah. in Germany, they had that lip singing contest. Yeah. And then that's what we wanted to do. Yeah. And we didn't win at all. No. No. That was rude. Yeah. <laughs> I honestly don't think I could name my favorite Christmas song. I have so many. I like them when they're silly. I like the classics. Chestnuts roasting on an open fire. And I like the ones that remind me of the spirit of Christmas. No crib for a bed. The little Lord Jesus And while there's a huge variety of Christmas songs today, they started out as hymnals sung at church. What do you think the earliest Christmas carol might have been? Woo. I have no idea. Silent Night. Holy Night? Are they different songs? They are different songs. <laughs> the only thing comes to mind is Silent Night, but I don't know when that was. Probably like silent night or something i have no idea i guess it, um maybe a holy night or something i have no idea the earliest hymns were latin christian hymns written around the fourth century about jesus christ the hymns eventually moved from being sung during church services to being sung well really anywhere the most frequently cited oldest christmas song is jesus refulls it omnium which translates roughly to Jesus, Light of All the Nations, and was composed by St. Hilary of Poitiers after experiencing the first recorded Christmas celebration in 336 A.D. Haunting, isn't it? Another very old Latin Christmas hymn that makes a list of oldest carols includes Corde Natus Ex Parentis, of the Father's Love Begotten, between 348 and 413. After that, we have a 12th century French song called The Friendly Beasts and is about the donkey, cow, sheep, camel, and dove present at Christ's birth. Some of the oldest carols that you may know include Good Christian Men Rejoice from around 1328, Christ Was Born on Christmas Day, also from circa 14th century, O Come All Ye Faithful, but this one is a little tricky because the current form is from the 18th century. But some historians indicate that the words to the song are possibly from the 13th century. Rounding out my list here is Good King Wenceslas, which was written in 1853 based on a 13th century Finnish Easter hymn called Tempus Addis Feridium. But because Silent Night and O Holy Night were guessed so often when I asked, however, I'm going to share about those two also. Silent Night was composed in 1818 in Austria by Franz Gruber. O Holy Night was written in 1843 and was based on a French poem by Placide Capot and set to music by Adolf Adam in 1847. I mentioned when I started this section that initially Christmas songs were hymnals sung in church. So how did we get to caroling? I asked my guests if they had ever been caroling. Have you ever gone Christmas caroling? What's that? It's when people walk around singing songs to other people. That's weird. 
Absolutely not. No. No, no one needs that from me on their Christmas time. But you know what caroling is? I do. Yeah. Why do you think people started caroling? To spread the cheer? I don't know. Spread the Christmas cheer? I have not. I, th I feel like that's the thing that people did a long time ago when we kind of left it. I know that people probably still do it, but I haven't really heard of anybody doing it. No. No. She doesn't remember going caroling in Germany on base. But you know we did that, right? Yes. I didn't. But we did. Yes. Okay. See? <laughs> I'm not crazy. We did a Christmas concert and chorus for a store opening. I don't know if that counts. <laughs> I feel no. No, you have. <laughs> you don't remember we went on base in Germany. No. We did. We went around and we, because you know, they had those like, I'm going to call them cul-de-sacs for lack of a better, but in between the two buildings and there would be a park down at the end. Like we'd go down and we'd sing and we'd go to another one. Yeah, I don't remember that. Have you ever gone caroling? Once, but I can't sing at all. So I... <laughs> I lip synced. <laughs> What'd you go caroling for? Was it with church or with Boy Scouts? It was in the or... neighborhood where we lived in uh, North Carolina. But I think it's just to kind of spread joy and the meaning of Christmas throughout family and friends. While most of them said they had never been caroling or don't remember, we definitely went caroling, Blair. They at least knew what caroling was. Do you think they knew when the first people started caroling? When do you think people first started caroling? Very long time ago. <laughs> I don't know, maybe 17, 1800s or earlier. In the 40s. <laughs> when in doubt, go with the 40s. No, I'm, I'm kidding. Uh, it's earlier than that. Like Jack the He's Ripper He's like times. the 1740s. Yes, the 1740s. Jack the Ripper times. 1895. That's very specific. Back in the 1800s. The idea of going around in groups and singing to others may actually borrow from a tradition in the Middle Ages called whistling. This tradition involved peasants going to the homes of their feudal lords and singing in return for food and drink. In England, wassail denotes an alcoholic beverage often used when toasting. Robert Doris, an instructor at Colonial Williamsburg, explained to Mental Floss that at Christmastide, the poor expected privileges denied to them at other times, including the right to enter the homes of the wealthy, who feasted them from their best of their provisions. He went on to say, at these gatherings, the bands of roving wassailers often perform songs for the master while drinking his beer, toasting him, his family, his livestock, and wishing continued health and wealth. The wassailers were upfront about what it is that they were doing, as heard in this classic wassailing song performed by Kate Rusby in this wonderful recording. We are not daily beggars that beg from door to door, but we're the neighbor's children that you've seen before. Not all lords appreciated the whistling, though. One 17th century polymath, John Selden, complained, Wenches, by their whistles at New Year's Tide, present you with a cup and you must drink of the slabby stuff. But the meaning is, you must give them monies. Unfortunately, not all whistling was as lovely as Miss Rusby's version. Apparently, some people would get drunk and be raucous in the streets, making noise, shooting rifles, and even destroying property. This is in part, though not the singular reason, why Oliver Cromwell and Long Parliament passed an ordinance in 1647 that essentially banned Christmas. The whole concept of whistling makes the seeming rudeness and we wish you a Merry Christmas make a lot more sense, doesn't it? Oh, bring us some figgy pudding. Oh, bring us some figgy pudding. Oh, bring us some figgy pudding and bring it Another fun Christmas tradition that I found myself wondering about is gingerbread houses. 
For some reason, the concept of making gingerbread cookies and shaping them into houses seemed to be such an odd choice for the timeless holiday tradition. Do you make gingerbread houses? Yes, but it's been a long time. Uh, Barbara and I made one way, way back when the kids were small and they helped. And uh, it was fun. fun. How did it look? (laughs) So-so. How did it taste? Did you eat it? Well, I ate the gingerbread part. I didn't eat the plaster. <laughs> no, I have, but no, not regularly. I have. I don't. We, I've made a gingerbread house in either last year or year before. We tried to make an Oreo house. It was not very tasty at all. It was pretty yucky. So, so you eat yours. You don't make them just for display? We made them for a display, but we immediately ate them afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> From scratch? No, I've bought a kit. Did you put it together? Yeah. Did you eat it or was it just decoration? Decoration. Christopher ate his. <laughs> I've, I've never made one. I've eaten one. Multiple. <laughs> yeah, it's been a while. But yeah. Yeah. I've never made one. Why do you think people make gingerbread houses? Like, where do you think that came from? Like, it's weird, right? Like, yeah. Because <laughs> well, when you're a kid, you learn that, like, with Hansel and Gretel. <laughs> yeah. Edible houses aren't a good idea. So. <laughs> I feel like it's good for, like, kids, though, on the holidays. It's like a good... Honestly, I feel like most parents do it now to get to keep the kids occupied. Well, I guess, I guess they just wanted something to do with their family and came up with, hey, let's make a gingerbread house. Gingerbread's cheap to make. I don't know why. I don't know. Every time I think of gingerbread house, I think Hansel and Gretel kind of things. Why do you think people started making gingerbread houses? To have fun. At least it's not just me who didn't know why this tradition got started. And honestly, even after researching it, I'm still not totally sure. I did learn that according to Rhonda Massingham Hart's book, Making Gingerbread Houses, that the first recipe for gingerbread came from Greece in 2400 BC. The spice was cultivated from China, and the Chinese developed their own gingerbread recipe by about the 10th century. By the Middle Ages, Europeans also had their own version of the recipe. And it's that version that lent itself to the houses we're familiar with. Gingerbread, however, was not specifically a Christmas treat. The very popular cookie was served at medieval fairs in England, France, Holland, and Germany. According to an article I read on PBS, Queen Elizabeth I is credited with the idea of decorating the cookies in the shapes of animals, kings, and queens. Eventually, the cookies were made into all kinds of shapes to match the season, such as flowers in the spring and leaves in the fall. And while beautiful, lovely gingerbread may have sprung forth from England, most historians agree that Germany is credited with bringing us gingerbread houses during the 16th century. And apparently a lot of their popularity was courtesy of the Grimm brothers and their tale of Hansel and Gretel. In the story, the brother and sister are left in the woods when they stumble across a little house, which they saw was built entirely from bread, with a roof made of cake and windows of clear sugar. Later versions would sometimes call it gingerbread, specifically instead of just bread, But either way, Germans began making little houses out of gingerbread and decorating them, much like they may have imagined the witch's house in Hansel and Gretel. So there are a lot of thoughts about the evolution of gingerbread into a Christmas staple. As far as I can tell, there was no specific catalyst for it. But gingerbread houses are a fun way to spend time with the family, and it makes the house smell wonderful. And if you've ever baked cookies at Christmas, there's a pretty good chance that at least one or two of those were for Santa. Grandma Bland said that Santa visiting her was her favorite tradition. Santa Claus coming on uh, Christmas Eve. What did Santa bring you? I love dolls, so I always hoped that he would bring me a doll, and he did. What was your favorite doll? 
a, a doll whose name was Carrie, C-A-R-R-I-E. Oh, and what made her your favorite? She was just, she was pretty and uh, a good size for me to carry around. What do you know about Santa Claus? Well, as St. Nick, I don't really know where that started. Uh, but I, again, I just hope it was meaningful and just a celebration of Christ and the importance of celebrating that day. He's jolly, ho, ho, ho. <laughs> he gives toys to good boys and girls. What is the favorite gift that Santa has ever given you? A big stuffed blue dog. How old were you? Four. And you remember it? What was so special about it? Because we always got smaller things, and this was as big as I was. And I just thought that was the neatest thing at four. He lives in the North Pole. He is St. Nicholas. He lives at the North Pole, and he brings toys to all the children. All the children? All the good children. (laughs) He writes you on the naughty list. Only if you're naughty. He's a big fat man that comes down the chimney and brings presents. He's from the North Pole. Santa Claus lives at the North Pole, and he brings presents to the kids and is jolly and uh, eats cookies and drinks milk. And I know there's a bunch of different things I've heard, but the more popular one is St. Nicholas. Uh, and I believe the story was that he would come to a, come to towns and he would have toys and would fill up these kids, like uh, call them stockings because they're long, but socks. Chris Kringle, St. Nick. Mr. Claus. Um, He's a man who flies around on Christmas Eve delivering presents for everyone for Christmas morning. Has reindeer. Daddy's totally real. (laughs) He has a naughty and a nice. I know, he's based off St. Nick. Did something. (laughs) He's in the North Pole. Yeah. (laughs) And what does he do? I don't remember what St. Nick was. But what does Santa Claus do? Oh, he brings the presents to everybody (laughs) through the chimney, eats the cookies, you know. Yep. We're all pretty familiar with Santa Claus, and even with St. Nicholas. But did you know that St. Nicholas was a monk who was born around 280 AD in Patera, near Mira, in modern-day Turkey? St. Nicholas was well admired for his piety and kindness. It is said that he gave away all of his inherited wealth and traveled the country helping the poor and the sick. One of the most famous stories attributed to him involves saving a poor woman from being sold into slavery by throwing gold in the window to pay for a dowry. The legend says that when he threw it in the window, it landed in a stocking that was being dried by the fire. It's then said that children throughout the country would hang their stockings, hoping to get a piece of Nicholas's generosity. Nicholas passed away on December 6th, which would eventually go on to be called St. Nicholas Day, and people throughout Europe celebrated the day by exchanging gifts. Eventually, St. Nicholas Day's gift-giving became a part of the Christmastime celebrations, and the idea of St. Nicholas would be found all over the world. Many of you already knew that St. Nicholas was the beginnings of Santa Claus. But have you ever wondered where we got the name Santa Claus from? It sounds nothing like St. Nicholas after all. Except that it kind of did in Dutch. In Dutch, St. Nicholas would have been Sint Nicholas. The Dutch nicknamed him Sinterklaas. Ah, sounding closer now, right? And when the Dutch started immigrating to America, Sinterklaas eventually became more Americanized until it was Santa Claus. So what about Santa's image? Did you know that until a very popular poem in 1823 was published, St. Nicholas, or Santa Claus, was traditionally depicted as a thin, almost stoic-looking man? 
But all of that changed when Clement Clark Moore published his poem, A Visit from St. Nicholas, in the Troy, New York Centennial. You may know it as Twas the Night Before Christmas. Moore's Santa, who described in the poem as, He was dressed all in fur, from his head to his foot, and his clothes were all tarnished with ashes and soot. A bundle of toys he had flung on his back, and he looked like a peddler just opening his pack. His eyes, how they twinkled, his dimples, how merry. His cheeks were like roses, his nose like a cherry. His draw little mouth was drawn up like a bow, and the beard on his chin was as white as the snow. The stump of a pipe he held tight in his teeth, and the smoke, it encircled his head like a wreath. He had a broad face and a little round belly that shook when he laughed like a bowl full of jelly. He was chubby and plump, a right jolly old elf, and I laughed when I saw him in spite of myself. As the popularity of this poem spread, so did Moore's jolly elf version of Santa Claus. In 1863, Thomas Nash drew the version that we would recognize as our modern Santa for Harper's Magazine, complete with a red suit and red cap on his head. Another thing that we associate with Santa that comes from Moore's poem is the reindeer. Can you name all of Santa's reindeer? Dasher, Dexter, Rudolph, Dancer. So Dasher, Dexter, Dancer, and Rudolph. Um, Prancer. What? <laughs> Put them all together for me. Rudolph, Prancer, Dexter, Dancer, Dasher, um, Racer? Is it one? Is it what? <laughs> it's not. <laughs> um, Dasher. No, you said Dasher. Oh. Rudolph's parents? Um, Paxton. What? <laughs> Paxton? Is that a reindeer? No. <laughs> For what it's worth, neither is Dexter. Really? <laughs> actually. Actually. I, oh, man. <laughs> Nixon and Blixon and Rudolph. I only know three. I think Nixon was a president. What was his name then? There was no Nixon? Rudolph, if you believe the addition of Rudolph. Uh, Donner, Blitzen, Comet, Cupid. That's all I got. That's a weird order. Vixen. <laughs> I'm sure there's not a deer called Vixen. Nixon. That's a president. <laughs> president Reindeer, sir. Donner and Blitzen and... We gave Rudolph. Okay. Uh, I'm stuck. <laughs> so I got three out of how many? Nine. Uh, nine. <laughs> oh, wow. Do I have to sing the song? Uh, I don't know. Come on. Give a guess. Rudolph, Donner, Blitzen, Comet, Cupid. There's a bunch of them. Vixen. <laughs> <laughs> Rudolph. And? There's Comet and Cupid, Donner and Blitzen, Prancer. Dancer, Vixen, Blitzen? I think you already said Blitzen. You did it in a weird order. <laughs> Comet like and Cupid, Donner and Blitzen. See, that's where you said Blitzen. Dancer and Prancer, Vixen and somebody. <laughs> Rudolph. How many reindeer are there? Eight plus Rudolph. Oh, so I'm missing one. Mm -hmm. You know who it is? No. Dasher. Oh, poor Dasher. <laughs> Dasher, Dancer. Keep going. Prancer, Vixen, Comet, Cupid, Donner, Blitzen, and Rudolph. Look at you. <laughs> Why do you know all of Santa's reindeer's name? 
because of the uh, Rudolph Rindus Ranger song. Dasher, Dancer, Prancer, Vixen, Comet, Cupid, Donner, Blitzen, and Rudolph. How many are there? Nine, if you include Rudolph. Dasher, Dancer, Donner, Vixen, Blitzen, Comet, Cupid, Donner, Donner, and Blitzen. Did I repeat? I think I did. Dasher, Dancer, Prancer, Vixen, Comet, Cupid, Donner, Blitzen, and Rudolph. Yeah. Hey, yo! We know the song. Now Dasher, now Dancer, now Prancer and Vixen. On Comet, on Cupid, on Donder and Blitzen. Although, when Moore penned the poem, Donder and Blitzen were actually named Dunder and Blixem. Apparently Edmund Clarence Stedman, an editor of an American anthology, 1787 through 1900, changed their names when he reprinted Moore's poem. Stedman adopted the Dutch spelling of Donder and the German spelling of Blitzen. In Old Dutch, Donder and Blixem translates to Thunder and Lightning. So now we know Dasher and Dancer and Prancer and Vixen. We know Comet and Cupid and Donder and Blitzen. And I know you recall the most famous reindeer of all. Yes, Rudolph. So Rudolph wasn't part of the original eight deer pulling Santa's sleigh in the poem. In fact, Rudolph wouldn't join the story for another century. Rudolph was written by a copywriter at the Montgomery Ward department store by the name of Robert L. May in 1939. He hoped to pin something similar to Moore's poem, using a similar rhyme pattern. The story told of a young reindeer who had a red nose and was teased by the other reindeer, until Santa needed that glowing nose to be able to see through the fog and deliver presents. The story of the underdog, underdeer? resonated so well with Montgomery Ward shoppers that they sold nearly two and a half million copies in that first year. In 1949, Gene Autry sang a short version of the song that we all still recognize. Old Rudy definitely did go down in history. So we've talked today about trees and lights and cookies and Santa, all components that help make Christmas time so magical. It's a time of year where we create new memories. I asked my guests this week about their favorite Christmas memories. And what did you guys eat for Christmas dinner? Ham, because my father had grown the uh, hogs and, you know, I mean, saved the meat and and then, of course, we had chicken also. And uh, we always had plenty to eat. People started baking cookies and exchanging them. And uh, we had no communication other than, like, walking to neighbors because... Um, no one had cars then. Uh, I mean, very few people. So it was different, quite different from what it is now. And my children, of course, I always tried to get them what they had asked Santa for. Yeah. And most of the time I did. Of course, it was by ordering and hoping that what you received was what it looked like in the, in the catalog. <laughs> the train that belonged to my cousin that was given to me after he got too old for it, 
and we'd put it around the Christmas tree. It may have been, um, we always went over to some close friend's house on Christmas Eve and, and ate a big meal and whatnot. <clears throat> and we were in there for several hours <clears throat> and came back, it came out and there was like three inches of snow on the ground for Christmas Eve. Oh, that's And it nice. was really magical. That wasn't here though then, huh? No, that was in Virginia. <laughs> but it was, that was really cool. We just walked out and went, wow, you know, maybe Santa can get here now. Oh, I have so many. Every year, I think the sweetest one was with when you got the dress. The brown one? Mm -hmm. Oh my God, I love that dress. I just thought you and your sister were just the sweetest things during that time because there wasn't a whole lot of money during that time. Yeah, I love that dress. <laughs> Do you remember what you got that time? When she got the dress? Might have been 16, 15. Your dad Is that the year that you guys got me present together? Mm -hmm. the, the watch? And tennis shoes. Just whatever, what sticks out to me is like waking up in the middle of the night, sneaking into my family room to make sure Santa came yet. And did he? After the first couple of times, no. <laughs> I don't know, just like not being able to sleep the night before Christmas. Uh, favorite Christmas memory? Get my Nintendo 64. When was that? 1996 or 7. And how long did you ask for it? Perpetually for at least two years or a year. And what game did you get for it? Goldeneye. Oh, that's a good game. Okay. Favorite Christmas memory? Um, I think, I think my favorite was when we lived in the log cabin in Simpsonville still, and I was a whole lot younger then, but when everybody came over and then uh, Christmas morning I, I would wake up I guess this is, this is just a general memory not like a specific but I would wake up and uh, Santa would have a, whatever present he brought me and then I would go over to my other grandparents house probably when we get together and make cookies and stuff probably Dylan putting the star on the tree each year as he got bigger you know it's an angel right the star <laughs> everybody else doesn't know it's an angel the star oh. makes more sense. Mine was like, I'm trying to remember the year, but it was probably like the last Christmas that I was at your house because we had Lola there and Grandma there and everybody kind of all together. And Dylan was still so young. And, and sweet and cute. <laughs> Personally, I have so many memories. I'm not sure I could pick a favorite. I have fond memories of the tree I told you about earlier. But there are so many other great memories from when I was a child. And then, when I became a mother. Oh, the memories are so different. I remember when Dylan was maybe three and I made him red and green sprinkled pancakes for dinner and we drank hot cocoa. Then we put on Polar Express and watched it with only the Christmas tree on for light. Dylan had on the cutest little Christmas pajamas and laid across my chest watching the movie. And when it was over, he just laid there until he fell asleep. And I just sat there in the light of the tree with my sweet boy asleep on me in his Christmas pajamas. And that's just one of the precious memories that I treasure at Christmas. But believe me when I say my cup is full and my warm memories are abundant. And as wonderful as my memories of Christmas's past are, I look forward to creating new ones every year. Whether you're spending time with a big group or small, I hope that you find yourself surrounded by loved ones creating the very best memories. Thank you for joining me today. And until next time, be safe, be kind, and stay curious.
Merry Christmas to all, and to all a good night. Ho, 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 ho. was a podcast of wonder released here for ye a podcast written and researched by me the opinions are mine of that you all know and recorded at got sound studio part of big media though this pod is quite small if you're on social please like share and follow to connect with the host at day or at night please be sure to click and visit the site thank you for listening to me when you do i'd be wondering alone if it wasn't for you listen here my wonderlings my family and friends Come back in two weeks, and we'll do it again. Merry Christmas, everybody. I hope that you have a wonderful holiday season. Deck the treats with ornaments. That's not fun. Really? Actually? Truly, it's not. It's deck the halls with boughs of holly. No! Yes! Boughs of holly? Boughs? Like, bales? Bowels of holly. Bowels. Bowels. B o u g h s. Bowels. Bowels of holly. What's bowels of holly? It's like a holly branch. And why would you? Okay. The preceding podcast is a product of Big Media and copyright 2023, all rights reserved.